Okay, you can have a seat. Perfect. Now, I want to hear a brief summary of what you came up with. Starting here, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I want from each section. And so if you can, um, uh, Connor, can you, or one of you, can you turn the volume down a little bit? I'm sorry, I messed with it. It wasn't turned on, so I, the pulpit one, there's, it's that black knob. But I want to hear what you guys have. What, what was your idea? Is happiness possible? Anyone else from this section? Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Anyone else? In the middle. Anyone else in the Thank you. You guys. Okay. If you don't want to, that's fine. But if you have, yeah, I'd be interested to hear. Okay. Excellent. Great. Now you've caught up to where I was thinking, the line that I was thinking. Today, I'm going to talk about superficial happiness versus a rooted happiness. And when I was thinking about the different types of happiness that we might have, or the, there's, it felt like there are different types of people and the way they view happiness. And so I have 
I came up with five types of people and how they view, might view happiness. This is not a, uh, a complete list. These are ones I came up with, and I would love to hear dialogue from you if there, you think they're maybe misstated or if there are things you or other people you might add. The first one is people who think life is only about being happy. And um, these people probably have had a very cushy life and haven't faced hardships. Um, also, their entire drive is in pursuit of happiness, often neglecting others and responsibility in hopes of finding a perfect life for themselves to enjoy. And the second one is people who think happiness is unattainable. Probably, these people probably faced a lot of tough things, and their view on life might be similar to the one of Macbeth's in Shakespeare's play where Macbeth says, Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage, and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Third, might have people who don't care or are too busy. Life, um, they live a life where they don't care to be happy or don't care if they're not happy. They just live a robotic, mundane life and never bother themselves with happiness. There are people who think happiness is a choice. Here, these people will turn that frown into a smile. And this I label as superficial happiness that smiles through the pain. These people will also cultivate habits that will make your life, that they think will make your life better and happier. And I will actually agree with this point, um, and I'm going to get to that here in a very, in a, they're not all wrong. This idea of having a uh, choice on whether or not you're happy isn't all wrong, and I'm going to talk about that just a little bit here. Let me go on to the fifth one. People who understand fundamental Christ-centered happiness. And I think a blueprint for this is given in Psalms 1. Before we get to Psalms 1, I want to ask another question. Have you figured out how to be happy and stay happy? And are you fundamentally, at your core, a very happy person? And of course you can think, okay, now what is happiness? This all hinges around what is the definition of happy. And that's why I brought out the beginning, there's a difference between superficial happiness and rooted happiness. And hopefully you can understand a little bit, different, a little bit better the difference between the two. And first one I'm going to talk about is superficial happiness. Um, so what makes you happy? Um, Marissa, you guys had talked a little bit about that, and I want to hear a few others. What are some things on this earth that make you happy? And I don't care. I think there is an di important distinction to, dis to dis differentiate between the things of God and there are earthly things. Okay? So what are some things that make you happy? Yes. A cup of coffee. Chickens. A quality conversation. Dina. To be with Norman, yes. <laughs> so what? So I didn't miss what you said. Okay. Sitting in a deer stand. Uh huh. Sorry, I missed. I was gonna have that up there. Someone else's smile. Someone else's smile. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and so there's a lot of things on this earth that we can genuinely enjoy, and we get, we just become happy with it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that would just bring a sense of fulfillment and joy in us that we just, you can barely explain how you feel. And the thing is, every one of us has a different sense of what we define, has a different definition of how we define happy. To uh, Ben, he enjoys deer stands. To Dina, she might not enjoy that. Maybe she does. Or to you others. I mean, there's so many different things. Maybe Linda loves chickens. I don't know if Ellis loves chickens. If he would be out caring for a chicken, he might not care. So we have different things that bring fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness in us. So you have to remember that when you look at happiness. I, across my studies, I came uh, across this. Art. There was a study done. It was called the Harvard Happiness Study. And um, <clears throat> it listed a bunch of... I got a little ahead of myself, actually. Let me back up. So ignore the Harvard happiness study. One of the other things I got, I studied, I listened to a two and a half hour long um, <clears throat> talk that Andrew Huberman gave, and he, the, the title of it was Science-Based Tools for Improving Your Happiness. And there he listed a bunch of things that we have or chase and how it affects our level of happiness. There's things like money, work, children, birthdays, smoking and alcohol, social connections, physical contact and connection. He talked a little bit about how a lottery winner and there's a difference between, no, sorry. A year later, how a lottery winner's view on happiness is versus a paraplegic person after a year. So there's a study done between those two. Um, so it was really interesting to hear um, how he talked about all these little things that we can try to chase down and we think will bring us happiness. And it pretty much everything we do in our daily lives affects us psychologically, and we're constantly trying to chase down the ever-elusive ultimate happiness in life. And then that's when I came across the Harvard Happiness Study. And uh, this is a, it's one of the longest-running studies of adult life and happiness. It began in 1938 as a comprehensive study of adult development tracking the lives of 724 men. And the study initially focused on two groups, 268 Harvard so sophomores as well as 456 boys from Boston's inner circle. Sorry, inner city. Over time, the study ex expanded to include the children of these men as well. So it just keeps going. And they've been tracking these men and um, seeing what they define as happiness and what is bringing them happiness. Um, so the study has produced lots of insights um, into human development, happiness, and well-being over its many years of research. And here are some of the key findings and results from the study. There's a lot of articles on this. So I went to uh, ChatGPT and said, please give me a concise, brief summary of all of these. And so uh, this is what I'm listing off. Because um, I, I, anyways. First one is there's importance of relationships. One of the most significant, and this is one of the most significant, sorry. One of the most significant findings from the study is the importance of close relationships for overall well-being and happiness. Good relationships, particularly with family and friends and romantic partners, and overall, um, have been consistently linked to better physical health, be mental health, and overall life satisfaction. 
Second one is quality versus quantity. This is basically saying your quality of friends is more important than your quantity of friends. Next one is health and aging. Individuals who maintain strong social connections, engage in regular physical activity, and maintain healthy lifestyle habits tend to experience better physical and mental health as they age. Uh, fourth one, impact of childhood. Early childhood experiences, including family dynamics, socioeconomic status, and educational opportunities can significantly influence adult outcomes and happiness levels. Fifth is life satisfaction. And factors such as career success, wealth, and material possessions have a limited impact on long-term happiness and life satisfaction. Instead, individuals who prioritize meaningful relationships personal growth, and a sense of purpose tend to report higher levels of well-being. And then the last one, no, second last one, is psychological resilience. And uh, the study looked at how when, and remember, these are, these are the, this is the data that they got from searching all of these 700 men. The study looked at how when coping with life's challenges, individuals who develop Effective coping strategies such as optimism, gratitude, emotional regulation, and better equipped um, they are better equipped to navigate adversity and maintain positive mental health. And then the last one is continuity and change. And the Harvard study has highlighted the dynamic nature of human development and its happiness. So um, personality traits and life circumstances can re mostly remain mostly stable, but in individuals have the capacity to grow, change, and adapt throughout their lifespans. So I say all of that quickly to tell you, it does provide insights into the factors that contribute to a fulfilled and meaningful life um, by understanding the complex interplay of relationships, health, and resilience, and personal growth. And researchers hope to promote greater well-being and happiness for individuals in the community. And while I believe you can improve your levels of happiness by evaluating what some of the experts say is good for uh, the, your mind and body, nothing on earth will bring us true fulfillment and all-encompassing happiness. I have, I have done parts of these things where it feels like I've tried to boost. We try to go after these things that try, will possibly make us be happier. We do want that. There are things, if I'm, I don't want to, I don't find fulfillment or happiness in trying to do any alcohol or smoking. Um, and so there's different things. Or I want to try to improve my uh, mental health and strength, so I started doing cold plunges this year. And I'm not sure how I've done with that. But it was, a, it was an attempt to try to maybe boost that. And so there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's important to remember it is not an all-encompassing happiness or rooted happiness. All right, I want the children to come to the front to sit on the floor.
So I gave you this today. Who would be happy if I gave you this today? So many times we treat life and the things of life just like those M&Ms. We think, I want to be happy, so I take it and I enjoy it, and then it's gone. And then we chase after the next thing. I got to have more, I got to have more. Turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and, in, and on his law he made it, meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. 
Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the law, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All right, looking at this, looking at this passage, there are four things that this passage shows us about happiness. The first one is happiness is possible. The word blessed here indicates that this happiness is possible. Now, I took an hour-long dive into the definition of blessed, and into the definition of blessed used in this verse, and uh, all the definition complexities, they, all the definitions were just so complex that um, because of the language transi- translations, I decided I'm not going to bore you with the details because at the end of that hour, I still wasn't exactly quite sure what to tell you. So most of the fancy translations Uh, translation dictionaries or commentaries use the word happy in their definition. But using the traditional word happy in place of blessed here isn't quite correct because it isn't referring to a bubbly, joyful happiness. So the best definition of happiness in light of the word blessed used in this verse is this. And this is my definition that is, can be scrutinized, feel free. It's a feeling of peace, settledness, which isn't a word, freedom, and joy, an all-consuming feeling that overwhelms us in a way we know it's Christ and not me. Second, uh, there you go. Second, the happiness offered by God is a rooted happiness. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water. This tree is subject to its seasons. It's not always producing blossoms or giving fruit. It probably has seasons of no fruit. Also, its leaves do not wither. So if it is subject to seasons, why would it not have seasons where leaves fall off? Let me tell you why. Real happiness is found under you where, you, where your roots are. Happiness isn't based on what happens to you, but in what you are. Dale Carnegie wrote this um, couplet. Two men looked out from prison bars. One saw mud, the other saw stars. They're in the exact same situation, and they see different things. Where's the difference? It's in the men. Often we're like a tree that is not planted by a stream, but a tree that is dependent on what comes from the outside. If we depend on nutrients from above, we won't be like a tree talked about in Psalm 1. If drought, winds, cold, or stresses come, we won't bear any fruit. Plus, our leaves will probably wither and fall, or we might become dormant or die. So why won't it lose its leaves? Because the source of life is directly beneath it. With that never-ending source of life, this tree will always have signs of life. Third, happiness is never acquired directly. It's always a byproduct of seeking something else other than happiness. Read the Beatitudes. All of those Beatitudes, it says, Blessed is the man that he finds something, he searches for something else. It doesn't read... Blessed are those who seek after blessedness. 
No, they are seeking something else. Verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Think of a feeling in which you feel satisfied. That is true happiness. You can think of a delicious meal, a beautifully mowed yard once you're done with it, a nice cut field of corn, tilled garden, a clean car, beautiful piece of art, all these things. You're done with it, and you're just like, wow, okay, sit back, and you're satisfied. That's the feeling of happiness you get when you seek after righteousness. Timothy Keller says this, seek righteousness more than happiness, and you get both. If you seek happiness more than righteousness, you get neither. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 33, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or what you will wear will be given to you. Seek him and his righteousness, and the things that will make you happy will be given to you. Now, this isn't endorsing the prosperity gospel. You cannot become, you cannot become a Christian because of the buffet you think it offers you. If you say you'll be a Christian so I can have all these things given to me, then you're just treating God like a butler. Remember, the creator God doesn't owe you anything. Instead, you owe everything to God. The less you're concerned about your happiness and the more you focus on Christ, the happier you will be. If something tragic happens to you, say a hard time comes in your life or you're struggling with something in your life, don't focus on being happy during those times. Don't try to smile through it. Instead, all you got to do is put your roots down into the living water and you will find happiness in his peace, security, and love. Fourth, happiness is not something that happens to you. It's something you choose. And this is where I'm coming back to one of the five people. The man in Psalm 1 is choosing to not walk in the counsel of the wicked, not stand in the way of sinners, not sit in the seat of the scornful. Instead, he's making an active choice to find delight in the law of the Lord. He chooses to meditate on God's law every hour of his life. And that is where he finds delight. This, isn't talking, this law isn't talking about the rules and regulations part of the Bible, but in the wholeness of Scripture and the story of redemption. So I ask the question, what owns you? What do you belong to? You can give your allegiance to God or in temporal things, things that will make you only happy for a short time. Just like the man here in Psalms, you have to turn away from some of these things. I can't base my happiness in the things of earth that can control my thoughts and emotions. You have to evaluate for yourself what is overwhelming you or consuming your thoughts. What things, what are some things that are consuming your thoughts? We can easily uh, say, I can't let a sports team's success or lack thereof control my level of happiness. That seems pretty easy for us to understand. But what about what happiness, sorry, what about happiness at home? What about the work environment? What about the way people are treating you? If they aren't working right, I mean, if they aren't exactly the way we want them to be, is it making us upset? Or is it taking away our joy? 
What do you do with thoughts of, of inferiority because of your view of your body? Fear or anxiety? And your struggle with depression. Are these thoughts stealing away your delight in the Lord? And now, the problem is, for some of these deep thoughts and emotions, it feels too simple to say, it feels too simple and insensitive to say, just put your roots in the living water. Christ, instead of waiting for external conditions to improve. But it is almost that simple. It is the foundation. There's a lot of other things that go into some of these emotions and and, and struggles we have. But the foundation is still, where are the roots going? This isn't to say you can't mourn or be sad or be disappointed. We all have emotions and God can accept and understand those emotions. Just read what Jesus, read into uh, the times Jesus wept and the things that he deeply cared about. And you can a little bit understand, and hopefully you can find some sort of meaning in what he said, and uh, for yourself in what he said. Jesus cares about every one of you, and he wants you to choose him. He desires you to plant yourself by the stream and be rooted in his power. It's actually in the tough times, the droughts and the storms, that we can more fully understand what true happiness really is. We can fully understand what true happiness is. Now, I have a video here for you. Last summer, when I went on Ragbri, uh, I went two days, and the last day I was riding, it was just me and Eldon, and we were riding from um, um, Coralville to uh, Davenport. And between Muscatine and Davenport, I came behind these bikers. And I think about this video a few times a month. It has been the most powerful sermon I have uh, ever witnessed in the last number of months. And there are two things that I took away from it. One of them was the people that were biking. And the second one was the happiness of the ha- handicapped boy that was in the bike. This, this, boy, um, this boy was, I'm, I'm not sure what disease he had. I ended up talking with one of the guys that was riding beside him. And I kind of forget what it was, but the boy couldn't walk. He probably had some sort of cerebral palsy, but he was still aware. He was mentally there. Um, and when I, I sat behind him for probably a mile or two, and we were going probably 15 miles an hour. These guys were cooking. And I sat behind him, just sat there, just watched. And I talked with another lady. She was probably 50s, and we were just discussing the incredible um, image that we were watching. And... When I, and so I was just impressed with the work that these men were doing. They drugged this boy. This boy had zero control of the situation. It was hot, and he couldn't pedal. He sat all day with his head bobbing back and forth. But he still found happiness in the journey. 500 miles. 500 miles of this, and these men pulled this boy across Iowa. Up and down hills, it was a lot of elevation gain. And when I passed him, that's when the second impact. I, I looked back at the man, at the, at the boy riding in there, and I knew he was happy. It was unbelievable. He sat there with a smile, and the whole time we'd, we'd be riding behind him, he, they'd holler cars or people would say hi. He would just holler it out, and he sat there with a grin laid back, just grinning happy. He could do nothing. 
but just be happy and just enjoy the ride. He had not a worry in the world. He was just trusting the men, the man pulling him along with the help of two friends coming alongside him. Every hill they got up to, these two men came beside him, one on each side, and they helped push the man up the hill. And as I was thinking about it, it's like, I want to be like that boy. I want to put myself aside and have Christ at the forefront. He's the one. He's leading the charge. And every once in a while, you have people that come beside you and push you. A Christian is someone who is rooted in something other than himself. I mentioned I do some cold plunges, and I've listened to this song for probably 75 times in the last four, four three months, probably. And 75% of the time, I'm sitting in this 42-degree water for the four minutes I'm listening to this song. So when I started working on this, this song came to my mind, and so I'm just going to read the lyrics to you. It's yet not I, but Christ, but through Christ in me, and this is by City of Light. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness, and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley, he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. No fate I dread. I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released, I can sing. I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. You can be happy. Don't look to circumstances. Don't seek it directly. And look at what you truly, look at what you are truly living for. Choose to put your roots into the living stream, the gospel of Christ, 
and there you will find rooted happiness. Let's pray. God, we are mere humans on this earth who are so weak and self-centered, and we try to find things that please us and that things that we care about, we try to go after, and we think, now I will be happy. But we are deceiving ourselves when we do that, God. And the things that take over our minds and thoughts that take us away from understanding who you are at your, and how that can affect our lives and change us, God, we need you. We need you to come. We need you to fill us. And in order for us to do that, um, for you to do that, we know we have to put our roots deep into your streams of living water. So please, when we come to you, I pray that you would fill us. Help us to be strong. Help us to be bold. Help us to um, receive that living stream so that we can live a Christ-centered, a rooted happiness. So that whenever the storms and the droughts and the tough times come, we can still be like Paul who sat in the prison. And we, can, and we can say, even through the suffering, I choose joy. We commit our lives to you, God. We want to be like you. We love you. We praise you. Amen.